Welcome to the Plant Witch Podcast, where we enter together into the web of life in all of its many seen and unseen dimensions. I'm Erin Schrader, owner of the Rebel Herbalist, and it is my honor to hold this portal to the other world. Let's enter, shall we? huddled on the eastern side of the trees with their feathers puffed out so they look like little feather balls and they're soaking up the warmth of the sun not doing anything except enjoying the warmth that they can feel on this bitterly cold morning. Nine degrees feels extremely cold to us here in Pennsylvania. We don't see the single digits in Fahrenheit very often here, a couple times each winter. I think of people in the Dakotas who are waking up to a negative 50 degree morning or something akin to that, and I, I've never felt cold like that. So, sending warm thoughts to all the cold places. There's such a beauty in the cold, you know, the, everything's covered in these little glistening ice crystals. Even though it's a harsh weather, such a beautiful time of year as well. In the European Celtic folklore, this is the time of year of the Kalyak. She is the blue-skinned old hag wild woman. She's a giantess, a titan who formed the craggy mountains of Scotland and Wales with the swinging of her club and the rocks that fell out of her aprons. All winter long, she hermits up in her hut and come Imolk, around February the 2nd, she starts to run out of firewood And so she comes out to gather more. If it's a sunny, beautiful day like today, where the wood is dry and she has plenty of light to see by, she'll gather all the woods that she needs for her wood for her fire. And then we will have six more weeks of winter. Six more weeks of bitter cold. 
the Kalyak extends her reign. If it's an overcast day or snowy and she can't be out long gathering her wood, then spring is right around the corner. She's almost ready to pass the staff to Bridget, who will bring us warmth and sunshine and flowing milk and the blooming of the green plants. The Kalyak has been coming to me um, in my dreams the past few nights. This is her time. She is in her power. And she is a goddess that many of us would not choose to work with because she is harsh just like the winter season that she rules over. And in her harshness, there is beauty. And there's cutting, icy clarity. And there is stamina and endurance and wildness. The first night I dreamed of her, I fell through a membrane into her cave. I don't know how I got there. She was shocked to see me. What are you doing here? Who are you? It was not a warm welcome. But she quickly began to cast the futures of my children by casting their baby teeth on her old wooden table And once she had cast their teeth, we were transported into this sphere of future possibility. And that's when I woke up. The next night, I was back through the membrane. She was again displeased with my presence. And this time, she had me lie on my right side while she stood on my left shoulder and hip and pulled my spine apart to pull something deep from within me out. She pulled her hand back and she held some deep blue, black, purple sphere and said, aha, that's it. Seemingly relieved she could be done with me now. She had done what needed done. And I woke up. The next night I was back through the membrane again. She was far less patient this time. She led me behind her work table, which was very exciting to me. I thought, this is my chance. I'm going to get to see the inner workings of the Kalyak's cave going to get to see the tools that she uses and the way that she bestows her magic upon the world. But instead, she quickly led me deeper into the back of the cave. I never got to see her tools. In the back of the cave was a giant cave bear who promptly bit my arm off. And then I woke up. All of these 
images are very classic for the Kalyak. Her gruffness and displeasure. She's been described as a curmudgeon. Her divination abilities, the way she cast the future with the teeth of my children. The sort of spiritual surgery that she did on me, exacting and extracting something from my body. And then the dismemberment, feeding me to her bear. And so I know something deeply potent is happening in my inner world, in my psyche and in my spirit. And I don't know what that shift will be, what kind of new way, deeper way the Kalyak is calling for. And I know I cannot find the answer with logic and thinking hard enough about it. The only way I can allow this deep medicine to work in me is by letting go and saying yes slowing down and paying close attention moment by moment to deep feelings and synchronicities and then the changes that are already done I just don't know what they are (laughs) they will begin to reveal themselves so I can commit my action to this new way of being that has already happened within the spaces between the atoms of my body You see, that's where the Kalyak lives. She is a void goddess, a dark space goddess, a goddess who lives at the bottom of the exhale, right before the inhale is required to keep living. Like Hecate, she is the fertile darkness the creative womb out of which things are born and to which things return. She is also known to be wild and free in her sexual pleasure. There are many stories of the Kalyak standing at the crossroads on a moonlit night when a young man is approaching the crossroads and where a young man is approaching the crossroads and she requires that he please her before he passes through. Her appearance being that of a withered hag woman. For those who have eyes to see, they please her and she is a radiant maiden bestowing on this man riches and blessings. Those who do not have eyes to see turn away from her and are denied the clarity and the abundance that they could have received and often end up lost in a dark wood, lost to madness, lost to hunger, lost to exposure, joining her in her wild ecstasy 
is the way through. This idea of wildness is something that is talked about. It seems everywhere (laughs) right now. But what is wildness? Like, what does that even mean? Does it mean dancing naked under the moon? Does it mean backpacking the Appalachian Trail? Does it mean quitting our steady job and going to live in a camper? Um, Does it mean having wild love affairs? Um, I think it can mean all of those things, of course. But truly, as someone who spent a lot of time in the wild, um, which often looks very unexciting, you know, just as I opened this podcast with the birds sitting still, puffed out in the sun, that is them being fully in their wildness. Or when I come across the doe bedded down under a fallen cedar, that is her in her wildness. Or when I watch her suckle her fawns in the spring, that is her wildness. The way that the water races from the top of Sky Top, running towards the Conewago to meet the Susquehanna. That is the water in its wildness. So it seems to me that wildness boils down to this sort of Confucian simplicity of doing what the moment calls for. Am I cold? Then I seek warmth right now because I need that warmth, I want that warmth, that radiant light. I don't put it off so I can finish this task or because it would inconvenience someone. Do I need to bed down? Well, then I do that. I don't keep pushing. Bedding down in this moment because that's what my body needs is wildness. Following the gravity of my heart's desire. Like the stream that runs from the mountain. That is wildness. Inviting our wild is answering a call deep within ourselves. And that voice, that call is connected to every other voice of our kin on this planet. The voice of the wild knows the wild. And if it is calling to us, it is calling to us from the great web of life. This voice lives between our heart and our belly. And you can feel it there. You know. You know when that voice is speaking to you. And telling you to just get in the car and drive. To clear your head. Or to break something. To release your anger. Or to take the day off and lay in bed. Because you are running at the edge of your ability to keep going. You know that voice in you. And it's the voice of survival. 
It is the voice of thriving. It is the voice of being alive, truly alive here in this place. Our head is a crowd of voices. Our father's voice, our teacher's voice, the voice of our ancestor 13 generations ago, (laughs) the voice of the newscaster, the voice of the committee chair. It is a cacophony of voices, none of which are ours. Our voice lives in the marrow, in the deep cave of the heart and in the void space of the belly and pelvis. The voice of life lives deep inside of us. This is the wildness. It will look different for everyone. The first time I remember truly answering my wild self as an adult was in April 4th, 2009, when I called off work and I just followed my heart. I did whatever it asked of me. All day, I used my heart as a compass and followed it. And I noticed the more I did that, the more effervescent that heart voice became and the more it was joined by my gut voice. And I had a clear map of where to go, but I never got the next step until the moment before I was to take it. It was fully alive and embodied in me. That day changed the whole course of my life. Learning to say yes to that voice, to that wildness, set in motion changes that I could never have expected and that continue to bear fruit today. Another thing we talk about a lot today is wholeness. And so our wildness is one thread in the strand of who we are. The more whole we are, the more we have access to our wildness. And there's more to us than just our wildness. We have also a rational mind that is a gift when it is used in service to the heart. It helps us set our sights and keep them set. It helps us prepare for tragedies when they occur. It helps us care for our children, tend our home, uplift our communities. So those head voices when corralled (laughs) and taught to be coherent and to follow the heart and the belly and to use their incredible discriminative faculties, their discerning faculties, their problem-solving faculties in service of love and wildness and freedom and joy, life gets really exciting and really interesting and so rich because we don't have to leave our families to go live in an RV. We don't have to run to an ashram in India. 
to follow our wildness. We don't have to sell everything and take to El Camino. All of those things can be what the wild is asking of us. And all of that can be right and good. But it doesn't have to be extreme. Picking up the thread of the Kalyak can exist alongside our wholeness. I find that plants who have sort of a really prolific um, growing habit or um, kind of just easily pop up anywhere and everywhere are really great teachers of wildness, resilience, um, taking risks, Plants like chamomile, lemon balm, mugwort, really all the mints. They are so capable of following their wildness, trusting wherever their seed landed, making a home there, surviving under footsteps. Um, You know, dandelion and plantain are other great ones for this. Those plants that rewild spaces that have been disturbed, they are such great teachers for allowing ourselves to bloom in any moment, in any situation, in any circumstance, that we don't have to silence our own voice. We don't have to amputate our knowing to, to live among other humans. The cost of community should not be so high. The cost of living in community should not be silencing our inner voice. So besides the teachers, the plant teachers that I mentioned, if you are looking for a little help, hearing your own wild voice, stepping into the wild part of yourself, being in nature and just watching the way that life does life is a great way to do that. And you can go visit the Kalyak. She will show you wildness. She does not participate in performative visibility or niceties or... um, disingenuous gestures just to keep the peace or lubricate the situation. (laughs) She fully and deeply listens to the marrow of her bones and to the pit in her belly and to the cave of her heart. And she speaks directly from that place, which is fierce truth and deep love. And she does not pet or stroke egos which is so much of what we're conditioned to do to stay safe. And so much of our reclaiming our wildness is to divest our energy from the ego fortifying, but truly shallow and superficial ways of life that we've been taught to uphold and instead to lift from our bones. So as the power of the Kalyak 
begins to emerge as we enter Imolk and she comes out of her hut to gather firewood. Perhaps we will encounter her on the road. And if we do, may we join her in her wild ecstasy. Thank you for joining.